Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Thursday, July 8th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, back with you, episode 416 featuring Yahoo Sports and many other outlets. Keith Smith is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. All right, here we go again. Couldn't keep me away for too, too long. This is another new edition of Celtics Beat. I was off last week. A uh, Well, as Evan put it, Evan Valenti, who's right here back here with us and, and really soldiered on alone after, after our guest bailed on him last week. He did the show solo. Let's did it solo on July 4th. You know, I mean, that's it's that's next level stuff. He, I mean, you should have. You should have, in the spirit of all things Celtics, as we will welcome in Keith Smith as well. I'm Adam Kaufman. I mean, you should have had, uh, I mean, like Wick has been talking about fireworks for years. You should have just done the show out in the yard and had fireworks firing off behind you the whole time for the video people. That'd be awesome. It'd be the closest thing I'd ever get to a WWE moment in my entire life. That would be totally awesome. I'm down for that. And just have like Shawn Michaels' theme song playing in the background and just do an entire (laughs) Celtics beat. (laughs) Can you guys hear me okay? Can you hear me? Is it all right? (laughs) It was uh, one of those scenarios where someone gets sick, and instead of asking someone on the 4th of July to record a podcast with me, I was like, I'll just rip this solo. I'll riff on Colin Cowherd's uh, argument the other day. We'll make it something related. We'll move on from there, and I'll talk about a couple of things that I've been really passionate about, including not trading Jalen Brown. Stop it. I'm done. You're much nicer than me. I probably would have started firing off texts, including to this guy right here, only because he's just always so nice and says yes to us. And that is, of course, Keith. How are you? How was your holiday? It was good. Yeah, it was relaxing here. We uh, spent most of it watching to see if we were going to have a hurricane or not. Unfortunately, we avoided most of it. It uh, kicked up enough uh, weather to stir up everything and cause my allergies to go haywire. But but we'll we'll power through. It'll be my MJ flu game here for you. (laughs) Perfect. So I mentioned off the top, obviously, Yahoo Sports, Celtics blog, many other outlets, including, and I don't know how new this is for you, if this has gone on for a while with obviously the podcast and stuff that you're doing as well. But really, I want you to help me with this because I've never known, and you can tell us, Spot Rack, Spot Track, how, how is it pronounced? It's yeah, an it's... unbelievable <laughs> website. And I, you know, it, it, like just invaluable contract information across sports. And I have never for the life of me known how to pronounce it. Yeah. You, you, you were closer than a lot of people. A lot of people uh, mix some letters in that aren't in there. Uh, and call it sport track and sport yeah. rack and all these other things. It's spot track. Spot track. Say okay. Yep. So now we know Evan and I, like we've had this conversation before. Yeah, I, I get no, mixed like, up. I don't, I don't know. Let's just pull up the contract. I get, I get mixed up with Spot Track and Sporkle, and <laughs> just a tough world out there in the world of the uh, the online, uh, whether it's sports related, either statistics, random trivia, or contracts. When I had well, an office job, I might have killed many of ours on Sporkle uh, back <laughs> in the day. So, 
There's a lot to cover, obviously, uh, just with, with what has been, I think, Jason Tatum talking about it as, as a member of Team USA now, talking about it, his first media availability yesterday, just what a bonkers offseason it has been. It feels like a million years ago, guys, since the Celtics were eliminated by the Nets. Way back when, you know, before Danny Ainge retired, you know, for those who can't see him doing that with quote fingers, because we don't know. I mean, he might latch on in some sort of front office capacity or, or consulting capacity with the Utah Jazz, his family, and, and uh, you know, maybe a home, I'm not even sure, but obviously Utah roots. He's got a lot going on out there. It's possible he winds up there, but for now, retired Brad Stevens has, uh, everybody knows, elevated to the new POBO, President of Basketball Operations. It's just a, it's a lousy acronym because it makes you sound like an idiot, but he is the new POBO of this team, and of course, Ime Odoka, who we were able to uh, welcome in this show, uh, talking about him being the new head coach the last time that Evan and I were together and now he's working on filling out the bench his staff something that we're for sure going to get to here on this show as well Kemba Walker traded away some for some reason wondering was it too soon it clearly wasn't Al Horford's back you know what's next for Evan Fournier Keith you've been writing about that there's just been a lot going on and Tatum talked about it he talked about his role in the hiring process of Udoka as well but uh, I thought the most interesting thing that he said and it's not it wasn't controversial by any means it was just sort of interesting that he even acknowledged it because he wasn't afraid of getting his words twisted and talking with the media he said look change can be good sometimes do you believe because there have been reports do you believe that internally some of the team stars Tatum Jalen Brown probably not Marcus Smart he's very much a Brad guy but do you think some of these guys I don't want to say had tuned him out I know Gary Washburn and others have written about that for the better part of the last year but we're ready for a change you know, I, I I wouldn't go as far as tuning them out, but but I think there is some truth to. It's hard to hear the same voice every single day, and for Brown and Tatum, it's been the same voice for their entire careers uh, to this point. You know, five years for Brown, four years for Tatum, and it's been Brad Stevens as the the constant, and really not just Brad Stevens, but his entire staff. He's had very little turnover within his staff as well, uh, so it's the same guys that you're hearing about. Uh, the rosters had some changeover while those guys have been there, but really since Tatum came in, it hasn't had quite as much as maybe Brown went through in his first uh, year. So, yeah, I, I, I think what he's trying to say in a nice way is he's excited for the fresh start, but he's not by any means because Brad's still running the team, you know, saying like, boy, I'm glad he's gone. I always right. go back to it was Larry Bird, I think, who said, you know, three years. That, that's what you got three years. And if you're not winning a championship every year, the guys just don't want to hear it anymore. You need a new voice there. And that's why he walked away from being the Pacers head coach when they were a really good team, because that was his belief. And and I think, I, I don't know that three years is it, but I think, you know, eight years without a title, I, I can guess get why they, you would say change is a good thing. As I mentioned, Tatum asked about his role because Brad acknowledged it in talking with the media that he was going to lean on his superstars and have them very involved in the process. He was asked about his role in the hiring process of Udoka. And, and I think, you know, Tatum played it well. He, you know, obviously said that uh, I play basketball. This is not my decision. This is their decisions, what the front office does. That being said, you know, the the finalists, I have relationships with them or familiarity with them in one form or another. Uh, all of them, I would have been good with any of them. And so it, it came down to what Brad and, and Wick and everybody else wanted to do. I believe that to a point, you know, I, I have no idea what his history is with 
you know, Darvin Ham or Chauncey Billups or anybody else. Obviously, we know about Ime Odoka and, and, and their Team USA overlap. And Odoka's there as an assistant coach right now as the team gets ready for Tokyo. But I, I don't feel like Tatum would have volunteered. Like, yeah, I mean, of this group, Ime's the guy that I wanted. And they went out and, and got Ime, you know. But I, I do sort of feel like he probably felt that way. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. I Jason Tatum's not that kind of guy. He's never going to be the one who says this is the guy I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. Not going to be Damian Lillard. Yeah, he always kind of plays it right down the middle. He he is uh, almost to his detriment at times, where people criticize him for saying he just doesn't care enough. It's not it's not a lack of care. He's just it's funny. He's kind of like Brad in a lot of ways, where he's never too high, he's never too low. He's always kind of even keeled and and. You know, he just kind of goes about his business, but I think you got to more listen to what he says versus how he says it. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to kind of take the approach of, I think he's pretty happy with the new head coach. Cause anyone on to talk a little bit about, you know, their relationship and how he's been with them a couple rounds now on team USA and those kind of things. So, yeah, I, I think he's happy, but yeah, he's not going to come out and, and cheerlead and go crazy. And, you know, nor was he going to yell and scream and be like, I really wanted, you know, this other coach instead. That's just not who he is. We don't need him to cheerlead and go crazy. That's what we have Evan for. <laughs> I'm on, I mean, you guys know I'm on top of that bandwagon. I think it's fantastic. And look, the, the, the obvious great thing about this, you got these two guys are both very comfortable with each other and know each other and have a relationship of, you know, student teacher already, so to speak. And, and the fact that Jalen and Jason have that and Marcus too is, is a huge thing. Um, one of the big things from Tatum the other day, and, and it, it feels like to me, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, that Tatum's being, you know, maybe ushered in as the new face of Team USA because it seems like he's all over the place right now and all the video clips and all the, the, the press clippings and things. But one of the things that I really found interesting and it's one of the things I was worried about with Tatum as he went to Team USA because, look, this this guy's played a lot of basketball the last two years. Mm-hmm. Condensed schedule, you know, the layoff, the bubble, all this stuff. COVID. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, getting COVID midseason and only having like five games off. Like he's right. he's played a lot of basketball. He said it was nice, and I'm paraphrasing here. It was it's nice to have the time off that he's had between the end of his season and the ramp up to Tokyo here, and how much better his body feels and how much more well rested he is. And I don't think we take that into account enough. I was worried, Keith, when they when he announced that he was going to go. I was like, man, is this like too much basketball for one guy to handle in a short amount of time? I feel a little bit better after hearing from him about that. His body feels in a, like it's in a good place. So, you know, as we get ready for Tokyo here, my question for you, Keith, is like, A, should they even go because of the COVID thing that's currently spiking in Tokyo? B, right. you know, were you at all concerned that Tatum's, you know, uh, overall amount of play the past year and a half, two years might catch up to him in Tokyo as we continue on here? Yeah, to to the first part, yeah, I have doubts that they should should go. I'm not sure that that's the the best decision that that's being made here. But you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm assuming that they're going to take care of the athletes. It'll probably be like the bubble at Disney was, and no one's going to get close to these guys, and they'll all be fine. Well, uh, for anyone who missed it too, sorry to cut you off, Keith. There sure. won't be any spectators until yeah, no spectators. Yeah. That's that's the breaking news earlier today. So that is significant. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm, you know, hopeful that they'll all be okay. And, you know, nothing will come of it. And and I I mean, we don't know who's vaccinated, not and all those things, but I'm sure they'll be all right. But for Tatum specifically, I was with you, Evan, I I was a little like, boy, man, just take the summer off. But then the more you think about it, 
these guys take about two weeks off when their season ends, and then they're right back at it. And they're going to play somewhere, whether that's these kind of informal, high-level pickup games where it's, you know, seven, eight NBA guys together and maybe a couple fringe guys or, you know, trainers or whatever it is. And they're going to get after it, at least with Team USA. It's structured. It's scheduled. There's going to be rest days built in. There's going to be all this stuff. And it's not, I mean, let's be real. He's not going to push himself overly hard in these games, hopefully, with, you know, a 12-man roster of, you know, NBA star-level guys. So, you know, my hope is that this is much more of a positive experience because we've seen young guys like Tatum use the Olympics as a springboard to great things. And he's already an all NBA level player. You know, can he take that even bigger? And as you know, Bradley Beal mentioned his good buddy, you know, when asked directly about it, how much team up talk will there be? His yeah. exact answer was, I don't know, probably a lot. <laughs> you know, so, get too you intoxicated know. by all the, the interactions between Jason and, and right. Brant Gill, because it just everything is. And then once they start playing together, it's just going to be all time speculation. That's it. It's, it's going to be Tatum and, and be on the hallway with holding up the two fingers. Yeah, like, max <laughs> Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, and then uh, you know, and then and then someone someone's going to be like, I saw a, a flash of green in Bradley Beal's travel bag. I think it was you know a Celtic shirt or something like that. It'll turn out to be a towel or something. But yeah, it's uh you know it, it's it's going to run rampant. But I think that's great for Tatum to be a part of that. And I think it's really cool that Greg Popovich has talked about how much of a key guy he is for this team. It sounds like he's really building everything they're going to do around Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum. Which you know anytime you're in company with Kevin Durant, that's not a bad thing. So I want to keep going with where you just left off right there, because that's that's what I was thinking about the whole time that that you guys were, you know, talking about the pros and cons. You know, we've had so many conversations in the history of this show right around All-Star time, obviously, like, should they go? Should they not go? Are they too hurt? Like Kemba shouldn't have gone. Kyrie shouldn't have gone. You know, should Tatum or Brown be there? All that stuff based on injuries surrounding the moment. And the All-Star experience is is great for these guys to be on that stage and to be around their peers and again you know we, we joked about a potential team up obviously and and it's i mean it's a very real thing you see it obviously uh but that's like that's a different animal that's that's a weekend in the middle of the season this right here i think has so much value beyond that the olympic experience i mean we're talking about these guys being together some of the greats in the league and i know it's it's not across the board because different guys from different countries are going to play on their respective teams but some of the great american players obviously being together for a span of what six weeks whatever it is where they're yes i mean it's it's not as restful to travel from country to country not to say that like these guys uh, fair reminder they are traveling in the absolute best accommodations <laughs> possible and staying in the nicest of hotels you could possibly come across i mean it's this isn't like they're you know chartering a uh like like me and my family flying to you know disney right around keith and and like crammed in and i don't have any leg room and people are getting up and bumping into me with the with the soda cart like that's that's not the way these guys are traveling so i'm probably you know other than like moving time zones and stuff like that and and being away from your families if they're not traveling with them it's it's not a a super physical toll so once you get past that being out there on the court on that stage in prime time, there's so much value in that. And yeah, you can you can second guess if like God forbid Tatum or or you know a guy on on your favorite team tears his ACL. Sure, I mean it's easy to look at that. But when you look at the off court stuff, you look at the ability to 
Tatum and Beal together, and they've been talking, you know, dreaming about this moment, their entire friendship going back to when they were children in St. Louis, and the possibility of 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 this being to a larger scale than 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 obviously the All Star Game and a recruiting tool. Like we know how LeBron and Bosch and Wade came together. It was through the Olympics. They talked about it. That, that was when that plan was put in motion and, and, you know, poor Carmelo Anthony, uh, you know, get, getting left out of the whole thing. But then you also have, it's just never bad to forge a relationship on a, on a, in a bigger way, a more meaningful way with your new head coach, Udoka being there every single day around Tatum as an assistant coach. It's never a bad thing to learn at the feet of a future Hall of Famer and Greg Popovich for a span of six weeks where he is your head coach. You're so used to hearing Brad's voice, whomever else's voice. Well, now you get pop for the next six weeks. You know, there's, there's no downside to that. There are just so many other factors that are bigger than the, you know, well, is he, is he truly healthy enough to be there? That's still, to me, guys make it worth being there when you're talking about the Olympics. Yeah, I'm with you, Adam. I think, too, just the idea of him being able to see how does Kevin Durant go about his day? Mm. Well, how does he get ready for practice? How does he make every rep count in practice? How does he get ready for games? How is he making sure he's taking care of himself physically? Those kind of things. So those are so important. We heard, I go all the way back. It's right behind me on the wall, the original dream team. I go all the way back to hearing some of those guys talk about, you know, hey, watching Bird and Magic and MJ get ready. Like, you know, those guys were closer in age to them, but, you know, I learned things from those guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know it didn't turn out to be a great NBA player, but Christian Leitner talked about it a lot yeah. of, you know, I the things I learned just by watching those guys get ready every day, how huge that is. And that's carried over from team to team to team. And that's, that is so big. And then the other thing is too, this is a little different because I don't know how many of these guys are bringing their families. We don't know. Obviously there's going to be no spectators. They're probably going to be fairly well locked down. So they're going to be together for this Mm -hmm. entire time. And, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, I think whether it be two years from now, a year from now, you know, five years from now, there's going to be stories that came out about when we're on lockdown in Tokyo, this, that's when we decided we were going to play together someday. You you know who it's going to be, or or we know it's going to happen. We just know who it's going to be is what I was trying to say there. So, yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, I think all around this is going to be a great experience for Tatum. Plus, he gets to wear Kobe's number. Right. Which is, you know, again, Kobe has a checkered past. We all understand the complications here. But for Jason Tatum, who grew up idolizing Kobe Bryant, like a lot of people his age group did, to be the guy that dons the number, to be the first one to do it after he passed. Like, that's, you know, Tatum's had a lot of accolades. But, you know, I'm not sure – there are too many more than getting to wear his favorite player's number on the team that, you know, represents his, his country. So, I mean, again, just seems like everything right now is coming up Jason Tatum. <laughs> I'm not sick of it. I'm just, I'm not yeah. sick of it at all. I'm enjoying the ride here. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the, somebody to pinch me sort of thing. So I can, you know, come back down a little bit. The, the Bradley Beal recruitment potential, uh, him playing again with Kevin Durant, learning from him, learning from, you know, Udoka and, and, and Coach Popovich again. This is all great stuff. And that's the thing that I missed, I think, Keith, when we first talked about this was, you know, how beneficial this can be for a guy like Tatum that's still on the rise. You know, you look at Luka Doncic, like he's playing with a bunch of guys that are, you know, not nearly as good as him. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for everybody else, it's like, oh, get to play with Luka for a while. Whereas like Tatum is playing with guys that are, 
have been established in either they're, you know, Kevin Durant and way better than him. And that's who he's chasing or guys that are around his level, they can compete against to get good runs in with. So, you know, as we look towards the upcoming season here, you know, you, you talk about that springboard. I am curious how Tatum gets used with this team. Like, is he, you know, he's, you know, Popovich talked about him as a two-way player, you know, do they use him more as a facilitator at some, like, I'm, I am curious, any ideas of how you think they might use Tatum in this, in this particular round of competition? Yeah, my guess is he's going to do what he did with him in the World Cup before he got hurt, which is, hey, run the offense a little bit for us. They, they don't have a lot of true playmaking uh, guys on this this roster. It's a lot more scorers yeah, and shooters than it is is a true playmaker. So I think they're going to say, you know, hey, go out there, create, create for yourself, create for others, you know, get us into some stuff. And th- those reps are huge because this isn't Team USA shows up and they roll out the ball and they're up by 40 by halftime and they coast the rest of the way. These They're going to be challenged in these. You know, we, we don't uh, walk over everybody the way it used to. There'll be a you know, couple blowouts in the mix for sure. But, yeah, it's definitely going to be um, very interesting to watch his development with that. And it's funny because I think of two things. One, he's going to come back with some kind of new move or something. And we're going to be like, oh, he picked that up from KD or mm. he picked up, you know, that, that uh, you, know, uh, you know, move from Damian Lillard or somebody. And then the other thing is invariably it's going to happen. He's going to go through a week-long shooting slump where he looks kind of tired in, you know, beginning of January and everybody's going to be like, see, I told you you shouldn't have gone to the Olympics. What a mistake it was. You know, what, what, you know how irresponsible and he doesn't care and, you know, all those things. And then, then he'll probably go on a tear two weeks later and everybody he doesn't care about his team he it. just cares about his country yeah that's it yeah yeah right you know it's uh you know how dare he sacrifice for his country <laughs> um you know but yeah it's we know it's gonna happen it's just you know in, in the end you know how how uh you know it's just you, you gotta get past it and get get over it because again more good from this is gonna come than bad there's more we could do obviously on on tatum and and what's to potentially come what's the benefits are from the olympic experience but what about udoka you know, obviously getting to be there with Tatum, you know, he's he's been on on the Team USA stage. You know, he's been an assistant both on that stage and, and on the Spurs under Greg Popovich. But this is different. And I'm sure he would be the first to tell you this is different. Being there right now on the heels of being hired as a head coach, on the heels of knowing that, OK, you know, not only am I going to be a head coach when when I get out of this and go back to that and and I'm sure there's a bit of multitasking while he's there and juggling some things getting ready as well including adding to his staff and talking to Brad about personnel moves and things like that but having Tatum right there with him how beneficial can this whole Olympic experience be for Udoka even as an assistant with Team USA you know he's he's not a, a final say guy he's he's not out there you know running the thing the way Popovich is but being out there and and knowing that that is coming, that is on the horizon definitively now, as opposed to in the past where it was always that carrot that he was chasing. And again, you know, can't say it enough, the fact that he has Tatum right there with him. What kinds of things can they be working on together to get them ready for the season? Yeah, I think that there's things that they can look at, whether it's drills in practice of, hey, this I kind of like this with with our personnel. It's you know, it's funny. It's a wing heavy team, as the Celtics are a wing heavy team, and you know, we could do this. Uh, some different sets that they'll pull. I mean, one of the coaches he's going to be working with is Steve Kerr, who's you know made a uh, you know whole thing work in Golden State based on ball and player movement. Uh, Udoka poked fun at uh, Brad in his introductory presser of you know twenty seventh in a 
this, this? No, not going to fly. We're going to ball and player movement. That was the Here, best part of the entire press conference. <laughs> it was talking, amazing. Talking, um, Brad Stevens right next to him. I think that's great too, because that shows just how comfortable he is right already yeah. with Brad of, you know, Hey, I can, I can take that little shot at him, get, get that little dig in there. But yeah, I think that, and then just seeing up close, this is how I can use Jason Tatum because it's one thing to watch film. It's one thing to watch on the other side of the floor, but a lot of times teams will tell you they're more focused on themselves and their own guys. And you know, well, what are our guys doing? And what do they look like now? He can really zone in on our, right, what does Tatum look like? What does he look like when he sees this kind of coverage? How does he work out a pick and roll? Uh, what does it look like when he's, you know, uh, handling the ball to his left versus his right and coming off a screen or, you know, ducking in on the left block or the right block, all those kind of things. Those, those are going to be big things. And then that is one last guy he has to learn when he gets to training camp at the end of September, then it can be a little bit more of, all right, now I can really zone in and focus. And, and it's funny because I had one person and thankfully it's only been one is like, you know, he's the new coach. I don't like that. He's over there. You know, he should be, you know, in Boston focused. And I was like, these guys are not working out with the head coach. You know, they're a lot of times not even the assistant coach when they're in the gym and in the facility, they were working out with, you know, a member of the development staff or something like that. But the other thing is it's not like he's missing out on any meetings. We've all gotten really good at doing exactly what we're doing right now, talking <laughs> over zoom and all yeah. that other stuff. It'll be absolutely fine. And there were people, he needs to be there for the, the draft process. Head coach is not a big part of the draft process, you know, nor should he be. You should be making your draft pick based on what your scouts are telling you versus the head coach who watched, you know, 15 minutes of one player. You know, yeah, they, they have opinions and they'll, they'll be involved, but they're not final say guys. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, again, it's making a mountain out of a molehill. This is again, more good comes from this experience for him as well than it, than bad will ever come. Just we'll to point, break hang in, on, just uh, to point out, that, hang on, just to point out real quick, there's a potential, you know, Tatum's recruiting deal. How about Doka maybe <laughs> sure. in there and bringing him side saying, Hey, like, you know, we can do this. this. Cause that's the big thing with Doka, right? Is the, the fact that he's a great communicator. You see him yep. all the time on the sidelines. He's talking to James Harden or Kevin Durant or Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. Like, Hey, if he's a great communicator, let's see that at work, buddy. Let's try and get uh, Bradley Beal to Boston here a little bit. Sorry about that. No, no, it's true though. I mean, there is the element and, and, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about it, which is funny because we talked about it like when Brad was coaching the all-star team and that sort of thing. But the, uh, the element of like, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun playing for this guy. We like this guy. So yeah, absolutely. Celtics just need to get some, you know, cap space in the future again. And, you know, be able to make stuff like that work to sign those max guys. But uh, bet online, fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football, of course, is uh, rapidly approaching NBA Finals. Those are a game in as we talk right now, and uh, still plenty of baseball wagers left in the regular season as well. Uh, NBA title odds, Suns, my team, my adopted team for weeks now. I want to add since the playoffs, since the Celtics were eliminated. I've been all in on the Suns. I even bought a Valley t-shirt. I should be wearing it right here. Chris Paul, number three, all that. Minus 185, 285 to win this thing. Bucks are plus 240, the NBA Finals MVP. Well, Chris Paul, due for that championship and maybe due for this honor as well. Minus 210, Giannis plus 340. Uh, You got Booker at plus 400, Middleton plus 1100. Aiton, who uh, Paul calls the MVP of their team at plus 2000 NBA draft props, because that is approaching Cade Cunningham minus 2,500 to go. Number one Mobley is at uh, plus 1000. So is Jalen green. And uh, there are even trade odds for players to get into as well. If you'd like bet online has you covered for all the news, all the scores, all the odds, best way to place your bets and 
Best part, it is free to sign up. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and do not forget to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that is promo code CLNS50. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we've been talking all about Ime Odoka and uh, his potential impact and and it's you know we're going to talk a lot more about it quite frankly in the uh, weeks and months to come but he's working on filling out that bench something that he was asked about during his introductory press conference and as we know everybody has more or less left or been let go from uh, the Brad Stevens regime in terms of that bench some guys are are still working on finding their next kids but uh, you know the the only one that we know has been retained is Joe Missoula we uh, expect, it hasn't been officially released, but we expect Will Hardy, uh, former Spurs assistant as well, coming over and joining Udoka's staff. And uh, the one I know Evan feels the same way, Keith, the one that I am just incredibly excited about, we've been talking about it for a while, is Damon Stoudemire. You know, coming over from uh, obviously 13 years as a, a player in the league, handful of years as an assistant, including a couple with Memphis, and then last half dozen or so years uh, leading the Pacific University men's basketball team. He is now uh, reportedly, you know, I, I say that because the team hasn't announced it, but it's going to happen. He is coming over. You might have even been the, the very first one to tweet about it. He's coming over to join Udoka's staff. And I just, I, I love this move, not only because, uh, and, and you acknowledge this on Twitter as well, I'm an old guy and I remember the, the <laughs> Mighty Mouse hijinks and everything. I, I loved watching Stoudemire. But more than that, I love it because this is what, in my estimation, and I've said it for years, was just missing from Brad Stevens' coaching staff. Having that longtime NBA veteran who's accomplished a fair amount in the league, you know, obviously had some success. Uh, you know, it's there was Walter McCarty X number of years ago, but like Evan Turner wasn't that guy. There really hasn't been another guy other than McCarty. Damon Stoudemire coming in. And, and being another voice, one that Udoka trusts. They grew up together in Portland. I just, I, I love the fit. He's, he's got coaching chops. We saw that in college. And, and as I said, he's been an assistant at the NBA level and the college level with major programs. Uh, I don't know how impactful it's going to be. I'll leave you to, to uh, clue us in on, on what you think. But I, I just think this is, this is a voice that has been missing from that bench that players will really respect. Yeah, I am yeah, completely agreement. I think what you need if you're you're Ima Udoka is you need somebody when you come down on a guy, you need a coach that can then put that arm around that guy's shoulder and say, hey, you know, when I was a player, my coach came down on me like that. It can't necessarily be him now, right? He's been that guy. He was that guy for Pop. He was that guy for Brett Brown. He was that guy for Steve Nash. But now he needs that guy to be, be – someone who can do it for him because he needs to be able to yell and scream at a guy, walk away and then have somebody else be the soft landing spot. And I think that's what Damon Stoudemire can help be. He's going to be huge for the guards. Cause I mean, you don't make it 13 years in the NBA, uh, at least 11 or 12 of them as a very you know good player. Uh, he led, you know, a Portland team that made it, let's be honest, should have made a finals mm. uh, if there wasn't uh, some officiating shenanigans in game seven against the Lakers. Um, so yeah, he, he's a guy who's been around. He's been there, done that. I think he's going to really help the guards out with, you know, Hey, this is what we do. This is those kind of things. Uh, we all know every player gets assigned an assistant, right. Becomes their, their coach. Uh, so my guess is, you know, Peyton Pritchard, maybe Marcus Smart. We'll see who else, you know, they're probably going to get assigned to him as, you know, 
that's what he did in the league. So I think that's going to be big, but, but I think most of it comes through. Everyone has repeatedly said Damon Sodermeyer is a guy who went through some stuff early in his career as well. Um, you know, had a, you know, a couple ups and downs, things that I think in today's world, we wouldn't even really care about. Um, but in, you know, when he was a player, it was a big deal, but I think he's again, a guy who's been there, done that. And he can help the players very much with, you know, Hey guys, here's you know what happened when I was a player. Let's get into it. And, and you're absolutely right. Brad Stevens didn't have that guy on his staff the last couple of years, and I and I think in some ways that probably did hurt them a little bit. Yeah, and it's not like Damon Sotomayor hasn't accomplished anything. I mean, he was the nineteen right. what, 90, 95, <laughs> 95 rookie of the year, ninety six somewhere in there, ninety six, yeah, ninety six. And everybody that that has you know, so it's not like he's some you know. Uh, scrub player that was the 13th man on some team. No, this is a guy in terms of uh, has accomplished a whole lot as an individual. And of course, team success always gets measured in finals appearances. And again, we talked about how it was a tough time being a Western Conference player <laughs> in those days when you have Kobe and Shaq uh, on one team. It's a little tough. But, you know, it's, it's that, that's one thing. And again, I agree that, that the value of having a guy like that is big and what that can mean for, for Pritchard, who's from that area. Uh, and Marcus Smart, and we'll see maybe, you know, if he has something to say to Tatum in terms of, you know, as they try and develop Tatum as a facilitator, that's a big thing. But the other thing that I, I find interesting, and, and you know, I, I love Chris Vernon. I, he does a great show at Memphis. His, you know, podcast on the ringer with uh, Kevin O'Connor um, is spectacular. But, you know, he he's talked about how great of a hire this is as someone who had to know, you know Damon Stoudemire when he was an assistant with the Memphis Grizzlies. And the one thing that I love – so far about this staff and I've learned a little bit about Will Hardy as well. Um, you know, I have a, a friend of mine covered him when he was playing at Williams back in the day. And of course has stayed in touch with him, but it seems like Ime and Brad have put together a staff so far that is big on communication and communicating clearly to their players what they want to do. I and mean, that's the biggest highlight of, of Ime, right? Was it's well, first off, he's a defensive coach. Second off, he's one of the best communicators you could possibly find. You know, Marcus Aldridge attributed his, uh, leaving Portland to San Antonio, basically to Eme, right? Mm-hmm. Again, Chris Vernon, very, very high on the communication skills of Damon Stoudemire. And that's the one thing that Coach Popovich talked about in relation to Eme, uh, during this Team USA press, you know, meeting. It's like, you know, there's a guy, you know, look, it's when, it, when you're a head coach at the NBA, it's not about X's and O's. Every head coach in the NBA is a good X's and O's guy. You're not. And, and he's absolutely correct. You're not one of the you know, top 30 people at your job, at your profession, by not being an X's and O's guy, right? They all are. What it comes down to is the ability to communicate clearly with your players, communicate clearly, and hand out assignments to your players and your staff. And that's the one thing that I really like about this team is they're going to be a team that seemed to lack communication and chemistry skills last year to a team that might flourish in that this year. And I'm just curious, Keith, if there's anybody else – that maybe you've you know come across in terms of maybe talking to some sources throughout the league and other guys that might have that quality to maybe look out for as potential guys to fill the rest of this bench for Boston. Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of a lot of names. Um, I think some of it right now is held up because there's still three other open jobs and there were what seven total open jobs. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot of staff changeover across the league. Uh, there's been some suggestion of, you know, could uh, uh, they add a former head coach uh, to, to the bench that someone who could come in and, you know, be there to kind of be, be like what Mike D'Antoni was for Steve yeah. Nash. Like I wondered if Kenny Atkinson might be that guy, but obviously he landed with the Warriors. Yeah. He's going to the Warriors. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I had someone say, you know, that, 
that could be a really interesting spot for Steve Clifford, who's from Maine. Um, you know, we bring him kind of back home. I think my understanding is, and based off every conversation I've had with him, he wants to be a head coach. He's not, you know, overly interested, but things could change, you know, for, you know, a couple of weeks from now and those jobs are all filled and he doesn't want to take a year off. Maybe, maybe he could be interested in doing something like that. But I think, I think Evan, your point is, is spot on. I think what you have to look at with these guys right now is the Celtics roster. I mean, Al Horford has to feel like he's my age out there with, you know, dealing with a bunch of children, right. At this point, right. Uh, Based off of the age gap there. But they're going to be a young team almost no matter what they do. This team is going to be very young. That doesn't mean they're inexperienced, but they're young. And what, what you need to have with people that age, this is something I learned in my before I left uh, my full-time office job and came, came here was I needed to learn how to talk to 24-year-olds. I, I didn't. You know, I didn't really know how to do it very well for a long time. And and then finally, I you know, enough reps and enough figuring it out. And I like think I got kind of okay at it. And I think that's something that the coaches have to be able to do is really relate to the players. And again, I think you're seeing him bring in guys who have been around for a while, highly respected uh, people. Uh, Damon Stoudemire built that Pacific team back up. He took over a terrible team and built them into a pretty good team by the end of his uh, his run there. And that's not a place that's had you know, a ton of success necessarily. And then Will Hardy is one of the more highly thought of coaches for a long time. It was mentioned that he was Pop's heir apparent. And if you're Pop's heir apparent, even if that doesn't pan out, you got to be doing something right. Do you think that adding another head coach in the same way that we talked about the advantages to bringing obviously a Damon Stoudemire in an established player in the league who played for a long time, who had been through some stuff that could really relate to these players on another level that, you know, a Brad Stevens obviously never could was beneficial. Is it beneficial, especially for Udoka? Like we talked about Ron Adams being added to Brad Stevens staff when he was hired, someone who'd just been, been through the ringer, you know, in, in, in many different ways, would Udoka benefit, you know, not, not only benefit, he'd clearly benefit, but would it, would he benefit to the point where it is a goal to add a voice like that to his staff, just someone that, that like Steve Nash had Mike D'Antoni, someone that he can lean on a little bit, who's been through it, who he's not necessarily threatened, like they're coming after my job, but but I can lean on them a little bit. Do the Celtics need to prioritize adding a guy like that or with what they've, you know, the types of guys they've added so far, is that enough? I think it's a little different for the Celtics compared to some of these other spots, because if he really needs that, he just needs to call the guy upstairs. Sure. Right. And say, hey, you went through this. You know, these guys better than anybody else does in this building. Uh, you know, let's get, give me some thoughts You know, there. Um, it's certainly not going to hurt to get somebody else. It's always good to get these outside uh, perspectives and see things through, through a new lens. Um, so I don't think it's one of those things where it's 100 percent necessary. They have to do it or anything like that, because I think Stevens is there. He could be that guy. Stevens even talked about it, um, you know, where uh, I think it was before the coach was hired. I think it was during the Al Horford, uh, Kemba He's Walker. He's looking forward to him losing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that first loss so I could throw my arm around him and say, hey, let's go get a beer. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, so we'll, I, I think there's truth in that. I think Stevens, I don't think you're going to see him on the sidelines being involved and being meddlesome in any way because he wouldn't want anybody to do that to him. But I do think it's, I'm going to be here as much as you need me to be. And, you know, all you got to do is, you know, Hey, I need to talk, I need advice or whatever. And I think that's what changes it a little bit for the Celtics compared to some of these other jobs. I hadn't thought about that at all. Do you think that 
I mean, maybe in years to come, but right away, year one, do you think Brad's going to be on the sidelines the way that Danny Ainge was on the sidelines, or do you think he's not going to be anywhere in camera shot during games? Yeah, I, I tend to think he might be a little more out of the way where, you know, they're going to have to search him out and find him in the arena. You know, he might be one of those guys who stands in the tunnel or yeah, he's up in the box, but but he's up in the box or he's like cut off like here. (laughs) You know, you can't can't tell that it's him. Uh, I I think Danny Ainge uh, never shied away from really liking the spotlight. So I think he enjoyed, you know, I'm going to sit right here on the baseline and I want to be screaming and yelling and doing my thing. I think you may see Stevens eventually progress to that. Um, I think initially though, because what they don't want it, he's going to be very conscious of, Every time a team goes on a 10-0 run against the Celtics, he doesn't want the camera panning to him. Right. Yeah, you know, over there. And we go, what's his what's you know, the difference? He wouldn't have any expression on his face. Right. That's the other. true. Anyway. But but I think he just wants to keep that away totally. And and we all know, you know, right, first time the team loses four games in a row, there's gonna be, well, you know, maybe Brad should take over again and you know come down on the sidelines. It's just the way these things go. Um, you know, and it's you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm already prepared for it and I'm already prepared with snarky response tweets ready to go, you know, when it happens and it's in my mentions. But yeah, I, I just I, I think you're gonna see see him not disappear but I think you're going to see him be kind of hard to find at times at least initially I think we can all agree Udoka is a a really strong hire on paper and everyone says great things about him and we're all just eager to see how it turns out maybe it works maybe it doesn't that element is you know that final element is unpredictable obviously but was he your guy was he the guy that you were pushing for or was he just someone that you were happy with no, I, I loved that idea from from the beginning when it was mentioned that he was a candidate. I thought um, I, I really I'm not a pro, you know preaching the company line here. I really did believe that there were a lot of good candidates, and I think there are a ton of really good assistant coaches. I wanted to see them go with uh, somebody new. I didn't think they needed a, you know, experienced head coach. The only experienced head coach I was slightly interested in was Kenny Atkinson, just because his track record of player development, especially mm-hmm. with wings. I thought that that could help, you know, especially with Langford and Neesmith and, and those guys on the roster. Um, but yeah, well, once it was looking like, all right, these are the guys who are going to be the finalists for me, there wasn't a, any better choice than he made Doka. Speaking of filling out, you know, the rest of the staff, you have Brad Stevens needs to figure out what to do with the rest of his staff. You know, they have some openings. Again, they, we're not quite totally clear on what's going to happen here. We just know Brad's like sort of in charge and underneath him, there's, there's, you know, we'll have Austin Ainge maybe. There's Mike Zarin, who everybody loves, but there's been some chatter um, about who the GM potentially might be. And we've had some two, two candidates emerge a little bit. And one we've kind of known about for a bit. The other, you know, I, I know of, um, but I didn't hear the, the chatter along with her um, and Allison Feaster, who is you know in the organization already and might be looking at a nice promotion. And then there's Landry Fields, who has worked in Atlanta for a while and been a part of their development staff. And and uh, it is it at least has been looked at as someone that could you know retain uh, have the job if he doesn't get promoted in Atlanta. So as we look at how Brad might finish putting his finishing touches on the front office, which I believe should be happening relatively quickly here because there's a draft coming up that they have to sort of get ready for it with some free agency things that they have to get ready for. I, I would assume that this is going to come together somewhat quickly after maybe, you know, the finals are over here. Is there, you know, between the two, do you, do you have a favor between the two? I, again, we know of Allison a little bit, not a ton about her. Uh, can you maybe enlighten us a little bit about Allison Feaster? What, what are we looking at here, Keith? Well, just just yeah. to add to that too, because I don't understand it, and I'm, I'm not saying it even should be a thing, but but it feels like it should be a thing. 
why isn't Mike Zarin just the de facto guy? Right. So, you know, yes, please tackle all of that, Keith. Yeah, and, and, and I apologize if I get titles slightly wrong here because they all – it's they've tweaked these things so much over the years where, you know, it used to be right. The general manager was the, you know, that was the guy outside of the owner. That was the, the guy who ran things. And then it became, all right, well, we're going to add this level of, you know, president of basketball operations. Then it was the general manager, then the director of player personnel, and then the senior vice president of basketball strategy and all these other <laughs> titles that they come up with. I think, you know, when you look at it with the Celtics, my understanding of where, where they've been and where they really are is Brad replaced Danny and then everybody else pretty much stays in the positions that they're in for now. But the question has been, they have, um, you know, do they, um, look for a number two that is not Mike Zarin. And, and if so, you know, why, you know, what, what would that be? You know, is it just, you know, time for a new voice? Is it uh, does Zarin want to do something different? Um, my, my guess is that he probably stays more of the de facto number two, uh, just because he's still well-respected within the organization. He's somebody that the uh, ownership group clearly, you know, respects and likes a lot. I think Brad, uh, he's one of the few people Brad mentioned by name um, there. So then I think uh, to Evan's question, I think, yeah, I think Alex Allison Feaster is, you know, she's a rising star mm-hmm. in this. It wouldn't be a surprise if she eventually runs a team. Um, you know, like what Brad is doing now for the Celtics. She um has been with Boston for a little bit now. Um, you know, is uh I forget exactly what her title is, but she's heavily involved. Um, with the players, she's been kind of that bridge between the players in the front office. Uh, that's not the coaching staff, right? It's kind of the the right in between um, there on that side of things, and that's that's an important role uh, to have there. And that's something where yeah, if they promote her, there's no reason that can't continue and that grows there. And then Landry Fields as a player was thought of as pretty good player, you know, just never never star, but you know, always a you know fairly solid role player. And then there was a thought along the way of he might make a really good coach or executive someday. And now he's done a good thing, good things as an executive. And that I think would be a higher where it's let's bring in some outside blood. You know, let's get, get some new thinking in here and that. My expectation is you're going to see things probably stay largely the same. Uh, and then next year is when I think we'll start to really see some changeover with that. It's also really hard. The Celtics are very um, quiet about their contracts for yep. people um, on all ends of the administrative side, uh, the non-player side. Um, so it, it can be really hard to know, you know, who's up, who wasn't up. A lot of guys were up on June 30th. Um, that's just the way it works in this league. Um, and as, so far as we know, most people are still around with the Celtics. So I, th- I think if we see major changes or that maybe bringing in fields or, or promoting Allison Feaster, it probably comes a year from now. Yeah. So I guess where things get a little wonky, where I get confused is it, if, if the, what Evan's talking about, if it were to happen now versus a year from now, and you bring in Landry Fields or Allison Feaster is, is elevated, and one of these two is the general manager, but Mike Zarin's still the assistant GM, if that's even his title right now, I think it is. And, you know, but then is he still the number two to Brown? It's just, it's all, ultimately, it, at a certain point, like, for, for fans, you know, for media, it, within the organization, it's a different thing. But for those of us out here, the three of us, it's like, I don't care what your title is. Who has the say? Who has the power? You know, like who is contributing at the highest level to this conversation of of personnel moves? Is that still Mike Zarin in in your estimation to Brad? Like, is is he the de facto number two or are some of these other voices going to have a larger say? 
Yeah, I just looked it up to make sure. And so unless it's completely out of date, he is the general counsel and vice president of basketball operations. That's Mike Zarens. Good God. So, yeah. So the general counsel part comes, right? Because he's he's got the legal background. So we know that. <laughs> we, and, and I think what it's going to slot into is I think Brad is going to lean heavily on Austin Ainge and his group for the scouting side. And then he's going to lean on Mike Zarin with anything salary cap related. I mean, like he's just a genius with the salary cap. I wrote an article for Celtics blog uh, last year about, you know, what's it like to talk trade with Danny Ainge. Yeah. And Mike Zarin was prominently mentioned by the folks I talked to throughout that of just, you know, you can't slip anything by them. You know, they're going to know that doesn't work. Or, you know, uh, one of the guys even told me at one point, like, yeah, we were $150,000 off. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't work in, no, there was not enough time for him to look at numbers or anything like that. There's just, he knew right away. Went you know, full rain man and just knew. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So I think with, with Mike Zarin is you lean on him there. You're going to lean on him with your contract and cap stuff. And then you're going to lean on Austin Ainge and his group on the scouting side. But in the end, it's Brad's decision. You know, he's going to make all these personnel decisions the rest of the way. Uh, my guess is he worked with Zarin on the cap stuff with the Kemba Horford swap. And what does that mean? And then worked with uh, Austin and his group on, all right, we're trading out of 16. What does it look like at 45 and those kind of things. But I, I think, and that's one of the things I think Brad does really well is he from day one came in saying, I don't know what I don't know. And I think that's one of the best things you can do as a leader is say, look guys, I need to learn this stuff. Yo, I, I'm going to lean on these guys. And he's been saying that since he took over, what, a month or so ago, month and a half ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to lean on my guys to teach me all the things that I don't know and fill in all those gaps. Do you know, uh, speaking of what we know and don't know, and I, I don't know if it's out there, I just haven't seen it. Maybe you want to estimate. What is Udoka's contract? Do we have a sense of what that is? Brad, when he was originally hired, it was a three-year deal. Am I right about that? Six years. Six years, that's right. Yeah. And they, they upped him Added. after three. Yeah. Correct. That's what it was. So yeah. did, did Udoka get six? Did he get five, four? What do you think? Six is highly uncommon. The standard for a, for a coach is uh, you kind of call it a three minus one. So it's a four-year deal with a team option gotcha. on the end of it. Um, and then occasionally you'll see a five-year deal with a team option. Those longer ones are generally a team that is entering into a rebuild or they're making a hire. So for example, with Brad, um, while the team never really confirmed it, when it finally came out, it was, he needed a significant commitment to, you're not just going to can me after a year if this isn't right. going well. And by giving him a six-year deal, we knew that they were locking in for a long time. So I, I my guess is this is either a four- or five-year contract, and it probably has that standard team option on the end at, on the last year. In the interest of time, because uh, we are almost an hour deep, and I'm, I'm shocked we haven't even hit on this, but there's been so much else to talk about. You've been writing a lot about Evan Fournier, and a lot of people assume that Fournier is kind of that next step, obviously, for the Celtics in terms of their offseason movement and, and just trying to fill out the books, fill out the roster. What's your uh, kind of latest and greatest, your estimation on that situation and you know what kind of contract he's going to command and uh, if it, in fact, is a foregone conclusion that he's a Celtic again? Yeah, all indications are that he enjoyed his time in Boston. I mean, beyond what he said, but he even talking to people I know were close to him, which I, I know some people from his time uh, spent years spent here in Orlando, where I am located, is that he did enjoy it in Boston. He really liked the players. He liked the coaches. He liked the 
little taste of the fans that, that he got, you know, from, from his time uh, there with the Celtics. So I think that part is all good. I think for Fournier, it's going to come down to uh, years and money as it does almost with everybody in this day and age it, with, with contract wise, this is probably his last chance at anything resembling a big contract. He's going to be, uh, you know, in his thirties, probably at the end of this next contract, that's going to be, you know, it's, it's not the barrier it once was of, you know, a guy's over 30 can't pay him anymore. You know, that's not the same way it used to be, but, but I do think this is probably his last chance. And then I do know, he would prefer something longer term because he's got a young family. Um, again, he's from France. So this is really his home for half the year or three quarters of the year. So he doesn't want to be in a position where he's going to be bouncing all over the place. It was hard for him to get traded from Orlando, you know, despite the fact there's a much better situation, winning club, all those things, because he'd been here so long. He was really established in the area and those kind of things. So that becomes hard on these guys to get moved, especially when, they're not from the U.S., so this wherever becomes home becomes home. Um, my feeling is with everybody on the roster, we're going to find out real quick what Brad Stevens really thought of them when he was coaching them. You know, was, I, I tweeted that the day his new job was announced. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out, you know, uh, yeah, he wasn't so big on that guy if he moves the guy right away. And I don't want to say that with Kemba Walker because I involved a lot of other things and contracts and things were there. But, but I do think what we're going to see with Brad Stevens is – and Evan Fournier is if they can get him on a, a deal that makes sense that allows them to remain flexible, whether it remains a good tradable piece on that contract or it's short term or something like that, that's going to be what it is. Cause you don't make the Kemba Walker trade to then turn right around and muddy your, your books. You, that, that's not what you're trying to do. You, you wanted to do that to create that flexibility for the next couple of years and do those things. And now they're in a position where if they can get Fournier on a reasonable number almost kind of doesn't matter what the number is this year because you're going to be over the cap. You're going to be near the tax, probably into the tax this year. But what matters is what's the number beyond this year? And can you get off it if you need to, if it is Bradley Beal wants to come to Boston or something along those lines, um, you want to be set up that Fournier is not a hindrance on whatever his next contract is. Yeah, that's, that's the idea of it. What does the perfect Fournier contract look like? And I was thinking, you know, you, you mentioned how he likes to stay in one place because that's just the way he is and with his family and that's great. And, you know, I'm thinking like something short term that doesn't, you know, screw up their long-term flexibility here because that corporate contract, you know, we all know how it decreases after this year unless they make the finals and it becomes fully guaranteed. Um, you know, Jason Tatum missed out on a ginormous payday because he missed the All-NBA team. So that's going to be a little bit helpful. Jalen Brown's contract is super friendly for what he's really worth. And that gets, you know, more as it goes along, but like, as I, I mentioned last show, I believe in the last year of his deal, he'll be making $30 million. Meanwhile, Ben Simmons, who can't play in the last minute of any playoff game, has been making $37 million. So there's 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 all that going on, too. But, so but the, don't forget, some people believe that you should trade Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. <laughs> I mean, I, look, and I, and I like Ben. I'm not trying to, like, I like Ben. I hope he gets a fresh start somewhere where he can really work on his game and, and, and develop into a better player. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to trade Jalen Brown for a guy that I can't play in the last couple minutes of the playoff game. It's just not going to, it's not realistic, but you know, you look at this team, you look at their, their cap situation, you know, what does the perfect contract look like to you, Keith? I mean, again, numbers, years, what does that look like? Yeah. What I would try to do is start him around 18, 19 million this year. I wrote a 
pretty long piece, in-depth piece for Celtics blog that I encourage everybody to go check out because it can walk you through a lot of the the factors with that. So I think $18, $19 million uh, front-loaded, though where it's 18, 19 million, then it declines each year after that. And now that's something that's getting more popular with good non-all-stars. So we're seeing teams really use that to their leverage because again, in that first year, probably doesn't really matter all that much. You know, it it does to an extent because they're not going to want to go too deep into the tax and all those kind of things. But you pay them 18, 19 in the first year, then it declines, you know, each year after that. If you can get a team option on the end, so much the better. But that's probably pushing it a little bit. But give him four years. So if you're looking at it and you're saying, you know, yeah, four years, you know, 60, 70 million feels about right to me. Then you flip it, you front load it. So then it becomes more desirable as a trade piece over the next couple of years beyond that. And then as he ages, you're still getting good solid value on that contract. And that's, you know, I I think that's the framework that makes a lot of sense for the Celtics. Their challenge is going to be, does a team like the New York Knicks, who's sitting on more cap space than they can probably really use, say at the end of, you know what, we're a playoff team, we'd like to be a longer stay in playoff team and stay relevant. Do they swoop in and say, here's one year, 25 million you know, and get you back out on the free agent market. And that's what the Celtics are going to be kind of contending with is does somebody come in and say, you know, whether it's New York or Dallas or San Antonio, uh, we don't have anywhere else to spend our cap space, but you know, so we're we're not going to tie up our books long-term, but we'll pay a whole bunch of money for one year. That's going to be something that Celtics are working against. But Fournier, you know, I know, he had COVID and he had a couple rough shooting games and that in the playoffs were a little messy, but the playoffs were a little messy for just about everybody. Um, he was a really good fit. He shot up over 50% on catch and shoot three pointers with the Celtics. The only other guy at the volume that he had that's up around that number is Joe Harris, who's one of the best shooters in the league. So Fournier knows how to play with Brown and Tatum and knows how to figure out how to get himself to open spots on the floor. And I think with a little bit more comfort, you're going to see him really be an even better player than he was, which was already pretty good during his time in Boston. We could probably do entire shows on Evan Fournier in that situation going forward, but beauty of it being, uh, you know, early July is we still have time to do that. So I'll, I'll leave you with this last question for me here, Keith, which is not important per se. I just, I, I, I'm interested in these types of things. So between listening to Danny over the years, Brad over the years, Eme most recently, we all know that eventually Marcus Smart's going to have his number retired by the Celtics. Is Eme, unlike Brad, a captain guy? Do you think someone's going to wear the captain C for Boston for the first time since Rondo? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, maybe. Um, I think it's maybe more likely because I think I think what happened with Brad was after Rondo was gone, it didn't feel right to give it to anybody else because let's face it, that first year was a revolving door mm. of players just being traded on and off the roster. It felt like, you know, I remember that one month where it felt, I think Ainge made five trades in the span of a month. And it was like, yeah, over hey, that Brandon, calendar year, there were like 12 trades. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brandon, Wright, It was nice to get to know you for a week and now you're not on the team anymore. I think what Jameer Nelson made one start and then was traded and, you know, who remembers Austin Rivers was a Celtic. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. When they held him hostage from his dad uh, yeah. for, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, um, I think there's a chance that, that they go that direction. Now, I'm not told it's smart. You know, do you do that? Or do you give it to Tatum or Brown with the idea of this is really, we're installing these guys as our mm-hmm. leaders. You know, this is it. Or do you do it almost as a bridge and give it to Al Horford 
for you know a couple no. of years and say there. Yeah, I don't think so because Al Horford's also not the guy who's going to really yell at anybody. You well, get, and he uh, could be gone in a year, and he could be gone in a year, and you you get more a disappointed dad with him yeah. than you do you know yelling and screaming. So yeah, Marcus makes the most sense. He's the longest tenured Celtic. He's been around. He's you know very much considered a leader on the team. It certainly would not more of a vocal me. leader than the other guys. Yeah, certainly is. Yeah, and that that's why I don't know that Tatum necessarily fits that unless. You're trying to drag that out of him. You know, yeah. They were going to force you into that. But yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they gave it to Marcus Smart. And I think that's something that hopefully most of the fan base would be able to get behind. Because I do think, you know, for all we can grouse about his shooting and all that stuff, I do think there's no player who represents the heart and soul of this team more than Marcus Smart does of the guys who are currently on the roster. Well, and I, I certainly don't know Ime at all. I've never talked to him, but, you know, he seems like a guy, again, very good communicator. He sounds like a guy who's very deliberate in his words. He thinks before he speaks. So, you know, I don't know if you want to take anything from him calling Tatum and Brown pillars and Smart being a foundational piece. That's another thing that might lead you in that direction. Yeah, and I think that's why we can hopefully put to rest that he's going anywhere. Yeah. He only mentioned a few players multiple times, and it was Tatum, Brown, and Smart in that opening presser. And I don't think that was by mistake. I think he he's going to say things that have uh, purpose behind them, much like Brad always did. And it's going to be, you know, there might be times things are said to lift a guy and build a guy up. And then there might be times when it's to challenge and push a guy. But I think in that situation there wasn't the need to challenge and push so when he mentioned Tatum and Brown I mean gosh he said pillars I don't know 10 12 times in reference to those two but then Smart was the only other player who got multiple mention and let's face it Marcus Smart is the kind of player every coach loves you want Marcus Smarts on your team because you know that those guys contribute to winning and I think Brad knows put Marcus in the right role with the right guys around him and his flaws are not going to be what they were you know, we can get him back to being a guy who's a playmaker and a defender. That's why. And that's why I don't know that he's in this huge push to got to get a point guard in here, got to do all these things. I think they're, they might be content with saying, Hey, we'll run Marcus at the point if that's the best thing to do for us, because we know what he can do. And when he's the point guard, he tends to set the offense, get the ball moving. And then if it comes back to him, he shoots versus where if he's the second or third pass, you know, it's probably going up at that point. Keith Smith. Yahoo Sports, Celtics blog, Spot Track, right? Did I get that right? Yep, Spot Track. You got ah, it. Ah, yes. <laughs> Great pleasure having you on, as always, my friend. Always, uh, you know, just tremendous insights. It's going to be, it continues to be, not even going to be, it continues to be a fascinating offseason. Eager to see what happens next. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Evan, you, uh, we, we, gave, we gave your voice a little bit of a break after you held it down solo last week. It's fine. I need a little, a little bit of something, a little bit of a strain in it a little bit uh, last week. There. I had to carry the load. You know, there you go. The team on my back like Greg Jennings and Madden, you know, doing the same, <laughs> doing the same thing. Totally, totally the same. But I, it was actually just nice to, you know, do one to just get a bunch of stuff off my chest. And now that we're getting ready to go here, it's nice to have uh, you back, Adam. That, of course, oh, thank you. Always yeah, we haven't had those rant and rave shows here uh, so much when there are three of us. But that's okay, because instead we get to learn more. For Keith, for Evan, I'm Adam. Thanks for joining us. Rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Rate, review, you know what to do. Celtics Beat. Thanks for listening. The show, again, powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% sign-up bonus. Uh, I just want to talk to Damon Stoudemire, guys. Maybe we can do that next time around. We'll talk to you next week.